Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> you can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts. Especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond in dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributor. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Last Sunday, I joked about uh, a message that um, I hit cancel print on twice um, the night before it was to be delivered. Here it is. It's printed. And I don't know if I've made the right choice. I bet we're, we're going to find out, aren't we? <laughs> I've never set out to write a sermon series. I believe that my task when preparing messages is to sense what God is saying to us now. And so creating a sermon series seems to run counter to that intentional presence to present realities. And yet since this summer, I have sat down at my computer to write messages for this community and have found that they all seem to be related. I think it was because this summer, Native Alaskans came and told us Quakers here in the Pacific Northwest how we set up and sustained boarding schools that carried on the genocidal aims of the U.S. government. What emerged for me was a question of how we Quakers especially found ourselves listening to and following the spirit of colonialism instead of the leadings of God, leadings of spirit. If it is our intent as friends to listen to the guidance of the spirit, especially as it calls us into countercultural, provocative, disruptive, imaginative, and creative presence in the world, then we should be especially practiced in discerning whose spirit or voice we are following. This core belief that we friends have the ability to listen to the voice of God directly aligns us beautifully with the gospel message of Jesus, namely that the entire aim of Jesus's ministry was to point followers to the principalities, powers, and other destructive forces which silently influence us and to direct us towards more loving, compassionate, upside-down ways of living and being in the world. And yet, we found ourselves in some kind of absurd reality, especially as Americans, in that Christ and Christianity are heralded as the core of our values and morals, especially for those in elected office. And yet, that has failed to move us towards a more just, compassion-focused society, and instead aligned Christ with the evils of American violence, oppression, and hatred. 
I'm going to share a couple of quotes this morning. And I know um, when I share another person's words that um, sometimes it's helpful to see them. So let me just bring them up. I've been reading a lot of William Stringfellow. He's one of my favorite thinkers, theologians, and writers. And he frames what I just said um, profoundly when he says, what is most crucial about this situation? And he's not talking about the one I'm talking about, but it's lasted for a while. Biblically speaking, is the failure of moral theology in the American context to confront the principalities, the institutions, systems, ideologies, and other political and social powers as militant, aggressive, and immensely influential as it creates in this world as it is. Any ethic of social renewal, any offer in social regeneration, regardless of what it concretely projects for human life and society, is certain to be perpetually frustrated unless account is taken of these realities named principalities and their identities and how they operate vis-a-vis one another and in relation to human beings. Look at the struggle for white people to confront racism, not simply as, I don't hate black people, but as the institutional, systemic, ideological, political, and social reality that it is. Ironically, what shelters systemic issues from change are its efforts to keep the individual perpetually feeling at fault. We continue to feel the weight of the global climate crisis when we forget our reusable bag at the grocery store, and yet feel utterly powerless to change the ideological, ideological and political powers at the heart of the climate crisis. When I read the Bible, I often have the sense that I'm reading a letter between friends that recalls memories in which I have not shared and using insider-only words to communicate something deeper. I grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s and endured the evangelical fervor around the world ending at the strike of midnight, ushering in the nightmare of Y2K and the rapture. Most of this hysteria was generated through a fundamentalist Christian and American interpretation of the book of Revelation. And so I'm cautious about the way in which the biblical narrative can be misused. Yet it is clear that the people of God, emphasized by the life and teachings of Jesus, were aware of principalities, of powers of the institutional evils at the heart of empires. Even the core story of Christianity, the crucifixion, has been washed of most of its ideologically revolutionary energy to placing guilt upon an individual for the sins that put Jesus on the cross. Ignoring the political reality that Jesus, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and proclaiming himself king of a new kingdom, finally tipped the scale of that loony rabbi out in the country to political revolutionary, encouraging his followers to challenge the ideological heart that perpetuates human suffering 
and restricts the, the, the possibility of a more loving and compassionate ideology from taking root. My friend and fellow pastor Johnny Rashid in Philadelphia writes, and I have a, his quote here. When Jesus' disciples declare his lordship upon his entrance to Jer Jerusalem in Luke 19, they cause such a commotion that the ruling religious leaders ask Jesus to have them quiet down. Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Jesus' point is simple. If Christians do not advocate for the oppressed out of fear of appearing partisan, political, or offensive, others will. Even the stones will cry out. We will see bold prophets around us doing the work of God, and perhaps we won't recognize them as Christians because our faith has been so watered down to the point of having no material significance. If our faith fits nicely into our political economy, it consequently does not disrupt it. <clears throat> Stringfellow continues later in his seminal work, An Ethic for Christians and Other Aliens in a Strange Land. The task is to treat the nation with the, within the tradition of biblical politics, to understand America biblically, not the other way around, not to construe the Bible Americanly. There has been much too much of the latter in this country's public life and religious ethos. There still is. He was writing this in the 70s. I expect such indulgence, indulgences to multiply, to reach larger absurdities, to become more scandalous, to increase blasphemy as America's crisis as a nation distends. Right? It appears the indulge, indulgence of construing the Christian message to, so, to suit the empirical aims of America have indeed multiplied. Perhaps to the largest absurdity that the majority of Christians in America continue to see Donald Trump as being the agent, got, the agent of God's continued work in America. I sense within myself a familiar resistance at this point right here, because once I identify the principality, I felt the temperature in the room go up. He said, Donald Trump. I said it by name, and that makes us uncomfortable. It's as if I've switched something off or perhaps on for people. Connecting Donald Trump or the ideology of MAGA to the message about the Christian moral ethic as displayed and encouraged by Jesus flips the, okay, here we go again, time to move on with my day switch, or why do we always need to talk about something so divisive? There are other switches, but whatever the switch, it feels as if making this modern connection activates familiar responses that I think continue to protect the principalities from rightful exposure and change. I guess in this way, it is an individual's responsibility to become aware 
of the narratives, the ideologies that have taken root in our hearts. Once aware, instead of giving guilt more power, what if we acknowledge it and hold the hope of renewal in our hearts? And as we go into this November, awaiting whatever violence and destruction will come with the presidential election, we will need places like churches to collectively see the workings of principalities and powers, to see the way ideological realities are showing up and manipulating us and our loved ones. Not in a paranoid way, but in a creative, disruptive, poetic, artistic way. And I see this, do you see this too? That kind of way. In a, we need to listen to God's guidance and speak out from the spiritual realities that exist behind this chaos. That kind of way. We will need communities to cry with, to be perplexed and angry with. We will need places to experience the real discontent and discomfort in our hearts. I wish that for our, this community in 2024, that we can be this for one another and others who will need it. As Quakers, we know that our communities are not just places of supporting one another through the strangeness of this. We friends have found ways to be prophetic, disruptive, and imaginative presences, to speak and act in spirit-led ways that are controversial, that are bold, and may call attention to us in ways that are unfamiliar or uncomfortable. We can support one another as we make these courageous moves. Here are some queries for open worship, friends. <clears throat> How have you become aware of the influence of principalities and powers and the way they shape our thinking, motivations, and action or inaction? How does your relationship with the divine challenge you to speak and act with integrity and conviction and word? Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. We're really happy that so many of you are finding it to be helpful and as a way to stay connected with what's going on with us here at West Hills Friends. If you'd like to stay connected with us in other ways, we have a couple options for you. You can check out our website. It's westhillsfriends.org. There you'll find some more information about who we are as a community. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook account by just searching for West Hills Friends. You can also follow us on Instagram. We have a Instagram account with the name West Hills Friends. So we hope that you'll get connected with us in other ways. And again, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast.